All right, so if you're turning with me today, we're going to start in Acts 27. We're going to start in Acts 27. So if you're wondering, uh, you notice if you were here last week, you already know, but I still got my boat with me because we're in the ship series. Uh, and so this week, we're going to be talking about another ship in the Bible. And I'm kind of excited about this series because God's really speaking some good stuff. If you didn't hear last week, we talked about Jonah. And the ship that Jonah was on talked about all different kinds of ships that you could be in. But today I want to talk to you about the ship that went down. The ship that sunk. It's always a fun ship to be on. Have you ever been in a ship that went down? Probably. In a, in a real ship? Or how about like a relationship that went down? Or a partnership? Or... We've probably all been in some kind of ship that went down. Are you in a ship that's going down right now? Do you, for some of you, you might feel like it's your whole life. The ship that is your life is going under, and you can't bail out the water fast enough. I've got good news for you today if you find yourself in any of those situations. You're going to make it. You're in a good place. And you're going to make it. It's okay. Even if the ship is going down, that might be all you came to hear today. That's your word. You're going to make it. So today we're going to look at a storm that Paul finds himself in. But he did not cause it. You know, there are different kinds of storms in life. And some of those storms we saw last week with Jonah, like that one was kind of brought on by his disobedience and decisions that he made brought on the storm. And I know there's storms in life that we can just bring on ourselves. There are things we choose and we can bring storms into our marriage or we can bring storms into our lives by the things that we choose. But sometimes storms just hit and we didn't choose it. Sometimes we get caught in a storm because of what somebody else chose that's just connected to us or close to us. Or somebody that we trusted and had some authority in our lives or in a relationship. And all of a sudden, the storm's being brought on because of them, not because of anything we did. So today, the storm we're going to look at, was, it wasn't Paul's fault. Right? Paul was in the will of God, doing exactly what God told him to do, listening to God's voice, and, and this storm hits. In fact, we're going to see in a few minutes, Paul didn't even want to be there. He didn't want to be in the storm. He advised them not to go in the storm, but he had no choice. So I want you to know, sometimes in life, storms hit, and it's not your fault. It's nothing that you did. It's not that you did something bad for some this to happen. It's just a storm. So last week, I gave you all different kinds of ships that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, and I just threw out some different ships to get your get your mind going. I won't do that big long list and make y'all repeat ship again. But we talked about relationships and partnerships and worship, discipleship, all different kinds of ships that you can be in. And all of these ships are things that you choose and they're taking you somewhere. Every ship that you choose to get in and set sail and you're riding out in your ship it's taking you somewhere. Every relationship that you choose to invest in and have in your life is taking you somewhere. Whether that's a good place or a bad place, whether that's headed toward your purpose 
or away from your purpose is up to you. But you choose the ships that you get in. You don't always choose the storm that you hit when you're in that ship. When you choose to get into a partnership with somebody, you don't know what storm you might run into. You don't choose that. All right, so let's look at Paul, Acts 27, verse 1. I'm going to kind of fill you in on some of this because we don't have time to read. And this, the story of this shipwreck, shipwreck takes this whole chapter. And so I don't want to like read it for an hour. So I'm going to fill you in on some of these parts and we're going to read some of it. In verse 1, it says, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. So Caesar Augustus had these centurions and soldiers, and a centurion was over a hundred soldiers. And so he was just like this soldier. And, and what happens here, to give you a little bit, bit of background, is this ship was a grain ship, but it also was a very large ship and had room for cargo. So Caesar or the soldiers would have paid the ship to haul all these prisoners. So they had a lot of prisoners, and so they're going to go and drop off the wheat and the grain on their way, and then they're taking these prisoners to Rome. So the ship had a dual purpose. It was full of prisoners, and it was full of wheat and grain to deliver. And Paul and a couple of his buddies got on the ship, and a whole bunch of prisoners got on the ship, and they hit some pretty rough water. They started hitting some storms. like It was getting pretty dangerous. And they were staying close to the shore and trying to just follow the shore around and get all the way around to Rome. But it was a long trip by ship. But that was the only way they could go. We're going to skip down to verse 9. Now when much time was spent, like it took way longer than it was supposed to, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed. Paul admonished them. Now the fast was already passed. It's just telling us what time of year it was. So it was past September and they had already done the Jewish feast. And so it's just telling us that they, they were moving into winter, which was a very dangerous time for them to be sailing. It was the time of hurricanes and winds and storms and all the sailors knew then, like this is our off time. You're supposed to dock your boat for these like three months because it was so dangerous and so many ships went down. So their, their journey ended up taking them longer than it was supposed to because of some bad weather and some storms. And now it's time to park your boat for the winter. Any good sailor, anybody that was around ships at that time knew this is not a time to be sailing on to Rome. So Paul admonished them. Paul says, hey, everybody, listen up. Verse 10. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing in the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion, you know, now he's in charge, the centurion. He's not a sailor. He's not a shipmaster. He was the one in charge of the prisoners, but he's got the most authority on the boat believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. 
and they pressed on. They kept on sailing. You know why? If you go ahead and read, it was because the ship ma- all the shipmaster and the men, the sailors, they did not want to stay in the port where they were for the winter. There was nothing fun there to do. It says it wasn't a desirable place to spend the winter. So they thought they could just press on and get to somewhere a little better rather than listening to Paul's wisdom. And so they pressed on and tried to make it on a little further. Well, things got bad. In verse uh, 14, it tells us that the wind got so bad it had a name. You know what that means? It was a hurricane. So now a massive hurricane hit. They couldn't tell whether it was day or night. It was so cloudy and so dark. They were just being tossed around. They thought that they would all die. So then they start throwing over cargo in verses like 17, 18, 19. It's telling us where they're throwing over all the grain that they were paid to carry. So you know you're going to be in serious trouble for that. Like you were hauling all this grain and stuff. Well, they're throwing it out because they're like, we're going to be dead anyways. Trying to lighten the load, lighten the ship. They tied the ship up with ropes, trying to get it to hold together because it was busting apart. Let's read um, verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. That's a pretty bad storm. Like for many days, they couldn't see the sunshine or the stars. And the problem is that back then, that's how they would navigate was by seeing where the sun is and where the stars are. So for many days, they couldn't see the sun or the stars and they were being blown around by the wind. They had no idea where they were. If they were still headed in the right direction or if they were further out to sea than they were supposed to be or they had no way of knowing how close to the shore they were. That's why Luke gave us that detail that they couldn't see the sun or the stars. That means we had no idea where we were. And no small tempest lay on us. Thanks for that information, Luke. It was a big storm, and it just seemed to sit right on top of us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Nobody even had any hope anymore. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them, And said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. Paul gets everybody's attention. They're still in the middle of the storm. And Paul stands up and said, Hey, y'all should have listened to me. I told you so. I told y'all you should have listened. Paul sounds like some of y'all's wives. Just kidding. Maybe. Oh, you should have hearkened to me. Y'all should have listened. And not have loosed from Crete. And to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Everybody be happy. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Paul said, everybody cheer up. It's okay. Nobody's going to die. I can guarantee you that. You're going to live. But this ship ain't going to make it. We're going to lose the ship. Like, y'all should have listened to me. If you would have listened to my advice and my wisdom ahead of time, we probably could have saved the ship and all the cargo by waiting out and, you know, waiting the winter at that last stop where I told y'all we should wait. But I've got good news for you. Your bad decision is not going to cost you death. 
you still get to live. We're just going to lose some stuff along the way. You know, that's how it is for us a lot of times. Like, we make some pretty bad decisions that go against what the Word of God or the Word of wisdom is speaking into our hearts and, and into our minds, and we go against it, and we choose what we want because it sounds better than staying or waiting or doing whatever it is. So we make our own decision. And the good news today is you're going to make it. Right? It's not going to kill you. Your, your penalty is not death. But you may lose some things along the way. If you make stupid decisions and you don't listen to wisdom, then you are bound to lose things along the way. It's really hard to win. You don't get to where you want to be. As I get older, I've decided that I would rather learn from the fence on top of the cliff than from the hospital at the bottom of the cliff. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's two different ways you can learn. I can learn that this cliff is dangerous by stopping at the fence because someone else came up to that and realized there's a cliff there and put up a fence, and so I'm just going to stop. Or I can also learn the same lesson by jumping over that fence and falling down the cliff and then hopefully find healing in the hospital at the bottom of the cliff and learn the same lesson. It seems like when I was younger, I'd rather jump off the cliff and then learn the lesson in the hospital. But as I get older and start getting a little more wisdom, I'd kind of rather stop at the top of the fence and have somebody else say, hey, it hurts real bad to fall down that cliff. And then I don't have to fall down the cliff. I learned a lesson. That's wisdom. That's as you grow and learn and probably fall off a few cliffs and feel the pain of that, the loss of that, you realize, hey, man, I don't want to do that anymore. Some people keep jumping off the cliff. The Bible has a name for that and talks about that. Um, our English word for it is stupidity. Stupid. Or, as some people say, stupid. That's just stupid. Stupidity. But here's the thing. Stupid people don't know that they're stupid. That's why they're stupid. So if you are stupid, you don't know you're stupid. That's what makes you stupid. You see what I'm saying? So everybody in the room, like none of us think that we're stupid, but there's probably some stupid people in here. I'm not being ugly. I'm just wanting you to understand that. Everybody thinks right now, well, it ain't me. And some people have someone else in the room they think it is. But just so you know, stupid people don't think they're stupid. So anyways, let's get back to... We find temporary cures for stupidity, but then it seems like a new strand comes out and we're back to the drawing board. Here's what stupid means. Having or showing a great lack of intelligence or common sense. Let me read that again. Having or showing a great lack of intelligence or common sense. The opposite of stupidity is intelligence. Or the biblical parallel, we see this talked a lot about in Proverbs, but the biblical parallel would be wise and foolish or wisdom and foolishness is the same thing as stupidity and intelligence. I know that you're not, but do you know somebody that's stupid now after hearing that definition? 
I know it's not you, but you could probably know somebody that you think is kind of stupid, right? Lacks wisdom, we'll say. So I wanted to tell you guys about this little story. This It's actually a video I saw this week, but I'm going to tell you a story because there's no sound or commentary on the video. It's just a surveillance camera that caught a guy at a vape shop in Denver, Colorado. All right, so this guy, I'm going to let you decide if he was stupid or not. Um, There was a man that woke up one morning in Denver, Colorado and thought, I'm going to rob a vape shop because I have no money. I'll wear my very recognizable Denver shirt and walk in and take whatever I want. Hmm, should I get a mask or a belt? Nah. How will I escape? Oh, yeah. I can use my mad parkour skills. What could possibly go wrong? Take a look at this guy. He walks into the vape shop. Looks like everything's cool. Hey, how you doing? Wanted to buy something for myself. Pulls out a gun and fumbles the gun behind the counter. Does a dolphin jump. Then this kick. Look at that. And his pants fell down. Okay. That was a very short video. But I watched that video a bunch of times. The fact that when he walks in, he tries to pull out a gun, fumbles the gun over the counter. Then when he goes to jump the counter, he fails at jumping the counter and looks like a dolphin trying to come up out of the water. The cashier picks up the gun before he can get over there. Then he gets scared and goes running out. And instead of just running out the door, I don't know what that weird little jump kick thing was he did on the way out. But that almost caused his pants to fall down, which almost tripped him on the ground. Right? And then she goes like, this guy was stupid. Lack of intelligence, lack of common sense. Uh, and then the, the police report on it said that uh, no drug use was involved. So that was his sober plan and actions, which makes it even worse. <laughs> I, got, I mean, he has no excuse. It was just stupid. It wasn't well thought out. You, maybe you should have got some counsel on that one bad idea it was pretty funny didn't harm anybody in fact when he left i guess the vape shop had more than they had when he came in because now they own they had a gun he gave something to them smart guy do you think if he would have asked anybody if he had some good relationships or friends or anybody in his life, uh, an authority figure, uh, a pastor, anybody, hey, you think this would be a good idea? What would they have said to him? No, horrible idea. Don't do that. So how do we make sure that we're not stupid? Because we don't think we are, but how do we make sure that we're not? Look at Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is presently known. NIV says a fool shows his annoyance at once. But a prudent man 
covereth shame. That word prudent, it was translated prudent. It's a Hebrew word, and it means acting with or showing care and thought for the future. You know what that means? It's telling us King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, is telling us that you want to be a wise man? Here's what a wise or a prudent man, here's how they act. They take thought for the future. Like, hey, I feel really mad right now, so I want to punch somebody in the throat. And then they stop and think about for a second, how is this going to affect my future if I punch my boss in the throat? Hmm, probably going to lose my job. It's going to be a bad thing for me, blah, blah, blah. Like, and they, you think it through. This is what Solomon tells us a wise man does. I think about how is this action going to affect my future? And then you don't act on your feelings. You think about, I feel sad, so I'm going to cover that up with a substance. right? I'm going to get drunk to cover up my depression. And then you think about, how is that going to affect my future? It's what wisdom does. Oh, it's not going to help. It's just temporarily might make me feel a little bit better, and then in the future, things are going to be worse. So because of one storm called depression, I choose a second storm called addiction, which is worse than the first storm and makes the first storm harder to deal with and find healing for because now I've got an addiction on top of it and I'm training my brain that every time something hard happens, I run to an addiction instead of to God. And it just makes it harder. See, the danger is that when you're in a storm, if you choose another storm, and then when you're in that storm, you choose another storm and another storm, and you're never finding healing. You're never finding safety from the storm. You're never getting out. You, it's just because you're choosing another storm. You're not listening for God's voice. You're not digging in. Where did I leave off? Oh, prudent man is acting or showing care and thought for the future. Even if you get mad, even if you get emotional, even if you get upset, you think about how is this going to affect my future? And you don't act on it. Proverbs 12, 15 in the NIV, it's that same verse. Um, the NIV words it like this. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. You don't think you're stupid. You don't think it's a bad plan. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it. You don't think it's a bad idea to deal with your pain in this way. Otherwise, you would have done it. But a wise man listens to advice. You surround yourself with people. You listen to advice from other people that say, hey, that's not a healthy way to deal with that. You know what? That, that's getting you in worse trouble than you were. That's not a healthy way to find healing. And you listen to advice. You listen to the people around you. Um, that same verse, Proverbs 12, 15, in the Good News trans translation says, stupid people always think they're right. I already told you all that. Wise people listen to advice. You listen to the counsel of others. You listen when people tell you, hey, that's... 
that's not a good road to head down. And it'll save you a lot of pain and heartache. Like Paul told the sailors, hey, we should probably just camp here for the winter. Let's wait three months and then go to Rome. And we'll all be alive and we'll still have a ship and all the cargo. They didn't want to listen. They were stupid because their feelings said, this isn't a fun place to spend the winter. We could travel another week and spend the winter in Vegas. You're, you're basing your actions on emotions. Stupid people need advice more than anyone. But they think they're right, so they don't listen. Wise people need it less, but take it more. A wise person really needs advice less, but they're always learning. They're always growing. They don't ever think, oh, I've got it all together. I know everything. I, I don't need to know anything else. about." No, they're always looking and learning and, oh, you've you got a better way to do it. Oh, oh, well, I thought I had some good revelation on that, but you say you were reading your Bible and God showed you something. What is it? Hey, maybe it's something I've never seen before. That's a wise person is someone that never thinks that um, I've got it all together. Paul the Apostle said, not that I'm there yet. I still got a lot of growing to do. I'm not there yet. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and in one of the letters to the churches is where Paul's saying, I don't have it all together, but one thing I do, I forget the past, and I keep pressing, I keep growing, I keep pushing for the prize that God has for me. We need relationships, and we need to listen for advice. I want to be wise. Wise people take counsel. Wise people are connected to other people. You choose to be connected. You choose to come and sit here in church and listen to the Word of God and the Bible, and that can speak to your heart and your mind and give you counsel on a situation. You choose to pray. You can hear God's voice, too. You don't have to have me say it to you. Every person in the room, listen to me. You can pray and talk to God, and He can speak back to you. You can have wise people around you. But you got to listen to their counsel if you want to walk in wisdom. A stupid or a foolish man is someone that thinks he doesn't need anybody else. He's got it all together. I heard this thing about relationships that elevate. And it was this whole thing, and they have talks and stuff about about making relationships in your life that will elevate you and push you to the next level and surrounding yourself, whether it's talking about business or in church or all different areas of your life and that you would strategically make these relationships that will elevate you. And, and it was nothing, it's nothing bad, but it's kind of like you're looking for relationships that are going to make you better or boost you better. And when I look at the life of Paul... Again, there's nothing wrong with making relationships that will elevate you, but when I look at Paul and his example, when I look at Jesus and our examples throughout the Scripture, I really think that we should elevate others. Like if our focus is that we would elevate the people around us, my focus is that I would elevate my wife and make her better to another level and so that she could be a better person and that I would elevate my friends and my family and my 
you know, the guys that are down there playing ball with me and all, like if my goal was that I would elevate all of them, that sounds more like what we see from Paul writing all these letters, encouraging the churches and telling them what they're doing good. And even when some, he gives them some correction, but it's all for the purpose of elevating them and making them better and making them walk in purpose and, and be all that God's called them to be. I want to elevate the people around me. And then guess what? It makes me wise and it grows me and it elevates me in the process. Um, I'm friends with a pastor. His name's Chaffick. He's a great guy and he pastors um, City Refuge in Virginia. And he was telling me this story about these people in his church and they had been married. They were celebrating their 30-year anniversary. And so it's a man and his wife and they just went to Florida and got a room for a couple days to celebrate their 30th anniversary. And they said that when they got there, they checked into the room and they went out to get something to eat that night. And as they were coming back to the hotel, this lady met them in the parking lot. And she looked pretty dirty and pretty rough. And she came up to him and said, hey, I don't mean to bother you, but is there any way, do y'all have any money or anything you could help me out? I'm, I'm just falling on some pretty hard times and I really need some help. And so he said, uh, okay, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll give you something. And so the man reached in his pocket, checked if he had any cash, and he gave her $20. And so they said, all right, well, God bless you. And hopefully that'll help you out. And she said, yeah, thank you so much. This, yes, this helps. I'm just really, the main thing, I'm just trying to find a place to stay tonight. I just really need a place where I could stay and get cleaned up and, and I need a place to stay tonight. And so he kind of looked at his wife and says, okay, give me the $20 back. And the lady was like, but, and he's like, give me the 20 bucks back. So she's like, okay. And she gave him the $20 back. He stuck it in his pocket and he pulled out a $100 bill. And he said, hey, we just checked into this hotel. And so I already know $100 will rent you a room for tonight. And it's pretty decent rooms, pretty nice. You can go in there and rent yourself a room. So we just blessed you with what you were asking for. And she said, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful, so grateful. And could I pray for y'all? And they were like, sure. So they closed their eyes and, and he said that, that this woman said, Dear God, would you please lay it on their heart to rent the room for me for three nights? And started this big prayer, and that was the first part of her prayer, and then she's prayed several other things in there, and, the, and they were like laughing about it, like, are you serious? Like, really kind of turned them off, and they, no, they didn't rent it for three more nights. They were kind of like, wow. I feel like our, we were trying to be generous and really help this person out. We don't have a lot of extra money. And so they were laughing about it. And my friend um, Chaffick was telling me about the story. And I thought it was pretty funny. But have you ever felt like that somebody was taking advantage of you? Like you're trying to help somebody out and they just keep on pushing and pushing and trying to get more, more, more. Like... I'm sure we've all probably felt like that at some point in life or some relationship to where like, okay, I'm giving and giving and giving, but it seems like the more I give, the more you keep on pushing, trying to take. Don't allow that to stop you from giving. Because every time you give, your heart grows. 
your world gets bigger and bigger. I'm not saying to let someone use you or abuse you. But I am saying, don't let them keep you from catching the next ship. Just because one person used you, don't let them keep you from getting in another relationship. Just because things went bad in one church, one fellowship, don't let that keep you from getting in another ship. Don't let it keep you from catching the next ship. Because if you're not willing to get on a ship, you're not going to go very far. We're not going to go to the places that God wants us to go. If we don't get in the ship. Let's look back at Acts. Um, Acts 27. See what verse we're in. Acts 27 verse 23. That's where we left off. For there stood by me this night. Oh yeah. This is where Paul's telling them why, like how he knows we're all going to be saved and we're going to make it, but the boat's not. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. You ever heard of guilt by association? You know, if you and all your buddies go get in the car after church and uh, your one buddy's driving and he goes driving to the store and goes in and pulls out a gun and robs them and it's a successful robbery unlike the one we watched a few minutes ago at the vape shop. Did you know you can get in trouble just for being with him? You can go to jail and catch charges just because you were with that person even if you didn't do it or wasn't your plan? Just guilt by association? Well, what we just read is blessing by association. And you know, that's a thing too. Like just by being in relationship with people and connected to people and in a place, all these people were going to live, every single one of them, because of Paul. Paul said, hey, the God I serve, he sent an angel, and he said, I'm not done yet, and there's a purpose on my life, and so every one of y'all gets to live too. None of us are going to die. Every one of us is going to make it. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told to me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. Uh, it's not going to look like we thought it would. We're going to be cast on an island, shipwrecked, but we're not going to die. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. Hey, I think we're getting close to land, the shipmen said. I can hear the crashing of the waves on the shore. I think we're getting close to land. We have no idea where. And they sounded and found that 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and they found it 15 fathoms. So... What that was is that if they couldn't see anything and they were in the middle of a storm and they didn't know how close to land they are, they would drop a, like a measuring pin down to see how far it was to the shore and then they would wait a certain amount of time and they would drop it and that would tell them if they were getting closer to shore and they were. Rapidly, the water was getting shallow. 
it was 20 fathoms, and then it was 15 fathoms the next time they checked. So they knew they were about to, to run into shore. Verse 29 says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, and they wished for the day. Oh gosh, I wish we could see. Please. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as they would have cast anchors out of the ship. So all the shipmen were leaving in lifeboats. They determined that they were close enough to shore that they'd have a better chance on making it to the shore in the lifeboats. So just the shipmen were leaving and they were leaving all the soldiers and all the prisoners behind. See ya. All the shipmen decided to jump ship. And Paul, in his wisdom, said to the centurion, remember the centurion had more authority than anybody, and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Hey, if they leave, you're going to die. If the shipmen leave, we're all going to die. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat, and they let her fall off. But Paul told them that, and the soldiers pulled out their swords and ran along, cutting off the ropes on the lifeboats and letting all the lifeboats go. See ya. So that the shipmen couldn't leave. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Nobody's eaten in fourteen days. That's a stressful storm. They haven't eaten. And Paul's like, everybody, you need to eat. I pray you take some meat. For this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread. And he gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer. Everybody was happy. Now, keep in mind, the storm's still going. They're in a hurricane. The lifeboats are gone. They can't see the land. They can't see the shore. They can't see the stars. They just ate a meal, and they're all happy. And Paul prayed. And they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship... 203 score and 16 souls. That's 276 people were in the ship. That's a lot of people. Some were prisoners, some were shipmen, some were the soldiers, the guards, the centurion. 276 people. And they were all happy. They were all praying to God. They all ate and they were still right in the middle of the storm. How can that be? Because they heard Paul and they heard his voice and he heard from God. And so then they could trust. The storm didn't even stop yet. They weren't even saved yet. And they all ate a meal and had some peace and they were all of good cheer and joyful. They were all happy. That's the importance of focus and hearing God's voice. You might be in the middle of the worst storm you've ever been in in your life right now, but you could sit here and in this message, God could speak a word to you from His Word 
You could hear his voice. And even though the storm didn't stop yet, you could just know, hey, I'm going to win. Hey, you know where I'm at, it's taking me to where I want to be. The ship that I'm in, this relationship that I'm in, this whatever it is, it's taking me to where I want to be. So even though the storm hadn't stopped, I can have peace and joy and know that where I'm at is where I'm supposed to be. And it's okay. I'm good. Now, last year, um, you guys know I'm a big Falcons fan. And last year, we always record the games because I preach on Sundays and I can't seem to be quiet. And when we have a one o'clock game, I can't get done preaching and get done talking to y'all and get home before the kickoff. So we usually record it. Right? I try not to watch it. And then sometimes I don't get around to watching it till later that day. So last year there was a game and the Falcons were playing and um, they're not here. But someone that goes to church here graciously came up and told me afterwards because I we were hanging around for something talking to people came up and told me oh did you hear what happened in the game we won and I was like oh. and I had that recorded I wanted to know we won Matt Ryan threw a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter and won it for us and I was like but I know my boys like watching the game, and every, so I just kind of acted like I didn't know what was going to happen. And we went home, and we got lunch and stuff, and we finally got to sit down that evening and turn on the game, and we were watching it. But I already know we win the game. And so in that game, the Falcons got down, which was not uncommon, especially for last year. But we were losing, and uh, Matt Ryan got drilled. It was like the linemen, like they weren't that good last year anyways but this play they just like took a break and got a drink or something Matt Ryan got hit so hard he wasn't getting up but for some reason I wasn't even worried I had peace I could look around at the boys watching the game like oh no I hope he's not hurt the season's over oh we're gonna lose this game oh Matt Ryan's gonna die but guess what I already knew we win the game in the end, and I know Matt Ryan threw a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter, which we weren't to yet. So I already knew he was okay. I already knew he was about to get up and throw the ball again. And I already knew we were going to win the game. So I had joy. Guess what? I just kept right on eating my food and eating my pizza and my hot wings, and I'm happy as can be. Well, that might look weird in the middle of the storm if you were a Falcons fan looking like, man, you're... Franchise quarterbacks laying there rolling around in pain and agony. You're losing the game. It's a pretty bad situation. That's what was going on here. They already knew they won. They knew they weren't going to die. That, yeah, they were feeling some pain right now, but it wasn't serious. That God said they were going to come through it. And so I believe for somebody today that, that you might have come just to hear that that you're going to make it. God said you're not going to die. You've lost some things and the ship might be breaking up and it might be kind of scary and you might have felt some pain and some things that you're trying to walk through right now, but you're going to make it. It's going to be okay and you're going to win in the end. Because Romans 8.28 says that our God works all things together for the good of them that are called according to His purpose. And you are called. He has a purpose on your life. And you're taking those steps and you're getting into those ships 
and you're headed in that direction. So anything that you've been through, any pain that you're feeling, any storm that you're going through, God's big enough and powerful enough to use it for your good, to work it in your favor. All right, I need to finish this up. Let me read, finish reading this story and we're done. They were all happy and in a good mood. And, and falling into a place. Wait, I'm not sure where I left off. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea. And they loosed the rudder bands. And they hoisted up the mainsail to the wind. And they made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill all of the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. Hey, let's just kill them all and then we don't have to worry about them. Kill all the prisoners. But the centurion, willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to the land and that the rest some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land some of them were on broken boards surfing towards the shore and some of them were paddling on pieces of the ship and the ones that could swim he told them just jump and start swimming and every single one of them 276 people made it to shore the ship didn't make it the ship was busted in a million pieces the ship got all broke up this can be kind of confusing if you read it um how the Bible's written in the New Testament, but like how we've got Acts and then we got Romans and then Corinthians and stuff that like they come after it, but that's not necessarily in chronological order. So this is kind of cool. I wanted to show you this. Um, so after Acts 15 was written, you know, remember we're in Acts 27 today. After Acts 15 was written, Paul wrote, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Then he wrote Acts um, up to Acts 18. Then he wrote 1 Corinthians. Then Galatians in 57 AD. Then he wrote 2 Corinthians in 58 AD. Then he wrote the whole book of Romans in 58 AD. Then the Gospel of Luke was written in 59 AD. Um, this is going to matter in just a second. Acts 27 was written after all of that in around 60 A.D., the story we read today. Um, why does that matter? Well, it tells us a couple things. Number one, this was at least the fourth shipwreck that Paul had been in. Because in 2 Corinthians, it says that he was in three and I just told you that 2 Corinthians was written before Acts 27. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is listing a list of all the things that he's been through. And it says he was in three. And that in one of those shipwrecks, he had to tread water for 24 hours. For a day and a night in the open sea, open ocean, Paul had to tread water 
and live in one of those uh, ships. It tells us that in 2 Corinthians, which was written before this. So my question is, Paul, why would you get back in a boat? Uh, this is your fourth shipwreck, man. One of those was obviously pretty bad that you had to tread water in the ocean for 24 hours. I don't even know if that's possible. Like, do you think you could do that? I doubt there's very many people in this room that could tread water for 24 hours in the open sea. For some of you, just the fear and panic would take over. and You'd panic just floating out there knowing that's that deep and there's shark underneath you and your mind starts playing tricks on you and you're thirsting. That'd be horrible. And so our natural reaction would be, I'm never getting in a boat again. Now what if I brought a guy in here today and said, hey, this man is so awesome. He's been in four plane crashes. Now wouldn't you just think, like, why do you keep getting on airplanes, man? Are you stupid? We'll go back to the whole foolishness and wisdom thing. Like, that doesn't seem very wise that you kept jumping back on boats there, Paul. The second thing that all of that telling you when the books were written was that Romans, the whole book of Romans was also written before this. And in Romans 1, if you go read it, you, Romans 1 tells us that Paul was praying to go to Rome. It was his heart's desire. It's what he wanted more than anything. It was something that was on his bucket list to get to go to Rome and stand before Caesar and, and to go see all the churches in Rome and all the great things. And God answered his prayer. But I don't think this is what Paul had in mind. When he wrote the book of Romans and, he was, and his prayer to God was, Hey God, let me go to Rome. I want to go to Rome and I want to be famous and I want to stand before Caesar and I want to minister to all the churches and I think that would be great and that's where I want my life to take me is to go to Rome. Right? Paul's probably thinking, like in his mind, when he was praying to go to Rome and that was his prayer for his future and what it would look like, he's probably thinking of, I don't know, Carnival cruise ship taking him, and then the red carpets rolled out for him to preach in these giant stadiums, and then he's so awesome that he gets brought in before Caesar. He probably wasn't thinking that he would get wrongfully accused, um, beaten, thrown in prison, and the way he would get to Rome would be on a prison ship, but only after the ship wrecked, they were shipwrecked on an island, had to swim to shore. Some barbarians came up and were thinking about eating them. And then Paul got bit by a poisonous snake. And then God saved him from the poisonous snake bite. And then he finally makes it to Rome. And the reason he goes before Caesar, right, like it happened, but the reason he gets to go before him is not because he's a famous preacher that's going to tell him all about Jesus. It was because he was a prisoner on trial. So God answered his prayer, but it sure didn't look like he thought. The way he got to Rome was not what he was thinking. He wasn't thinking it would be in chains. A lot of times we, we pray for things and we hope for things and, and we've got this idea of what our life should look like and, and God can use it and work it out and get us where we need to go. But don't give up if it doesn't look like you thought it was going to look because a lot of times it doesn't might look a little different, but that's okay. 
And Paul was shipwrecked three times. Tread water for 24 hours. Was on this busted up ship. I don't know if Paul was one of the ones that could swim or if he had to grab a piece of the ship, but somehow he made it. They all made it to shore safely. But the big danger is that in life when we go through pain, when we hit a big storm, what we would say is, I'm never getting on a ship again. Well, I'll never get in another relationship again. That one hurt me so bad. I could never trust a man again. I could never trust a woman again. I won't get in another relationship. I'll, I'll never work for anyone again. I'm going to find a way to make money on my own or work for myself. I cannot work for another man because I was hurt so bad by that, by that boss. I'll never go to church again. They're all fakes. They're all just out after your money. I'll never go to another church again because that preacher turned out to be an idiot. He was stupid. Or there's so many different reasons, right? I'll never get into fellowship again. I'll never get into relationship again. Why? Because the last one went down and it caused me a lot of pain. But do you know that Paul would not have made it to Rome if he did not move past the past? The past shipwrecks, the past pain. Like if he didn't figure out how to move on, he would have never got onto another ship. He would have never made it to where God had for him to go. He would have never made it to where he ultimately wanted to be if he let the past hold him back, keep him back. Paul said, one thing I do is forget the past and I press forward. I keep moving forward. You've got to find healing from your past so that you can keep moving forward. So here's a question. How much have you missed out on because you refuse to take the next ship? It's probably because of pain or hurt. I know you got hurt, and I'm sorry for that. But staying hurt won't help. Living in that offense, that pain, that disappointment, it, it won't help. I know that church was broken. And you lost fellowship. You lost relationship. But you need to catch the next ship. If Paul would have never gotten on another ship, he would have limited himself and the way that God used him. You know that Paul went from continent to continent, island to island, and without a ship, he would only have gone as far as his donkey could take him. I remember Paul, he was Saul, and God knocked him off his donkey. That's how we know he had a donkey before he started traveling by ship so much. Well, guess what? A donkey can only take you so far. A donkey couldn't take him from continent to continent, from island to island. There's islands that a donkey couldn't get to. So his donkey could only take him so far, and could God use him? Yeah, God could use him, but it would have really limited what Paul could have done in the ways that God used him. 
If you're not willing to step into some ships, ships, you will only go as far as your donkey can take you. You got to be willing to step into some ships. If you want to go everywhere that God has for you, in Proverbs 14, 4, it tells it. Well, I don't want to misquote it. It's one verse. Proverbs 14, 4. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. What does that mean? Well, it means the stall is nice and clean and there's no poop in there and there's no feed and you don't have to worry about feeding and watering the oxen and that's so nice but where there's a clean stall there's no oxen you don't get the work done you don't get the benefit of the strength of the ox and so yeah there's going to be some pain and there's going to be some hurt and and the ship's going to go down but it's going to be worth it you're going to live. God's going to get you through this. So some of you have tears in your eyes. But you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. Just because you got hurt on a ship, or just because a ship that you were in went down, don't let that keep you from getting on other ships. Surround yourself with people. Listen to counsel. I can't promise you that the ship will make it. I can't promise you that your marriage will make it or your church will never fail you or that every ship that you jump in is going to make it. But I can promise you that you're going to make it. You're going to get there. Don't quit. Don't give up. We're all going to make it. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, we don't want to be foolish or stupid. We want to be wise people that listen to your wisdom and your counsel. We listen to other people and we have relationships in our lives that can say, hey, you're kind of acting on your emotions right there. Make us stop and think about how is this affecting my future. So God, give us wisdom. Now you said in James that you would freely give wisdom to him that asks. So God, today we ask for wisdom for all areas of our life. Give us wisdom. Surround us with people that will give us wise counsel and will help us be who we're called to be. God, we love you. God, we thank you for the ships that you've placed in our life that are headed in the direction towards our purpose. Help us to board the right ships to head towards you and all that you have for us. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.